Blog Talk Radio. Here with my co-host, John Harlow, as we bring you another great episode of Talking in Circles. This weekend, we review the crazy weekend, both the NASCAR Xfinity Series and NASCAR Sprint Cup Series. Crazy weekend that was at Daytona International Speedway. We'll preview the Kentucky race. Bubba Wallace got into a little bit of hot water with his tweets. Uh, There was a controversial finish at the end of the Xfinity Series race. Um, Several accidents, including a 19-car wreck in a Cup Series race, and it all ended with Brad Keselowski's 20th career NASCAR Spring Cup Series win in the third of his 2016 season. Keselowski led 115 of the race's 161 laps in the Coke 0400 powered by Coca-Cola at Daytona International Speedway. John Harlow, I know you don't like restricted point racing, but um, the best car won that day. You can't say that a lot of times about restricted point racing, but I think the best car and best team won that day. That's Keselowski pretty much whipped them there at Daytona on Saturday night. I thought one of the things that was really interesting listening this week on um, Sirius XM NASCAR radio was one of the drivers, I forget who it was, was talking about how good Keselowski was. when they were. Oh, it was Almondinger on uh, Monday. They were talking about the package. And Almondinger said he sort of likes it, but you can't pass the leader, especially if you can manage shutting down the lines and Keselowski had the horsepower to get out there on the restart and was able to bounce back and forth and take the momentum away from whichever line was starting to get some. So, I mean, yeah, the best car won and Roger Penske gets his hundredth win as team Penske in NASCAR. And I think the coolest part about it is Penske did nothing but praise Doug Gates and the Roush Yates engines that were under the hood, because that is why that the, Keselowski car was able to win. I mean, it it was calamity. There was a goat rope on Friday night. There was the pile-up of all pile-ups on Saturday night. And at the end of the day, for once, at Daytona, the best car did win. But we can't really say that. It was the best car that was left that won. Because I think as the night would have went on, Harvick was coming Jimmy Johnson was coming, and they got caught up in the melee, and I think those were two that could have been contending toward the end. And I think Kurt Busch was coming. He just couldn't get – because Keselowski was doing such a great job managing the two lines behind him. Kurt just couldn't get a run, and he had Logano behind him, and he wasn't going to get the push to pass his teammate. 917 if you want to join the conversation. You're on Talking in Circles. We're taking your phone calls as well as talking about anything from Daytona International Speedway. You're right, John. Um, you know, and here's the thing I have, a, what I like about this package and something that I, I think it needs a little bit of work because I think what Almondinger said, uh, where you can't pass the leader, it's very hard to pass the leader. I think that's true. But what, one thing I really like about this package is it encourages racing to the front, encourages, in, it encourages pack racing. Well, we don't really see single file racing anymore because track position is so key. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick and Ryan Newman, yeah, they went to the back early. But they only stayed there for like until lap 100, and then they sat there and said, no, we've got 60 to go here. It's time to get to the front. They weren't staying back there long like we used to see them do because they know if it gets three wide, it gets a little crazy to pass, and then crazy moves happen, you get caught up in wrecks. 
So really the best way to do that, to avoid these wrecks, is to stay up in the front, which Kozlowski did all day long. Um, and it was a very impressive race from the Ford camp. You're right. Uh, Ford horsepower was really good. We saw um, Greg Biffle sit on the pole, which was kind of a surprise to people. Uh, he did that. And then, you know, look at Kozlowski. He won, and, and Logano was up there. He was teammate. He finished fourth. He was up there all day long. Trevor Bain finished third. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. fifth. Biffle himself finished eighth. Uh, and we saw a, a very good run from David Gilland. He was the only front-run motorsports car not caught up in a big wreck. Gilland uh, ended up 19th, but he was up in the front for a little while, running pretty good up there in the top 15, top 10 most of the night. So it was a very, very good um, day for the Ford camp. And I'll tell you, it's something that's interesting to me is, have, do you think horsepower-wise, you know, to me there's no doubt, horsepower-wise, uh, I think Hendrick Motorsports, believe it or not, and their engine package, and even maybe Richard Childress right now, a little bit behind where Toyota w- was. It seems like, to me, Ford has caught, has kept caught up to Toyota. We've seen Penske run really strong here, um, and, and it showed that, at least horsepower-wise, engine-wise, uh, at Daytona, by sitting on the pole and running up front all day, they have pretty similar horsepower to what Toyota has right now. I think horsepower's never really been in question whenever Doug Yates is building a race engine. They always have had the horsepower. I think one of the differences between Roush Yates, I mean, Roush Fenway and Team Penske is Team Penske has had the handling down and the adjustments on the car down and the front end geometry down and then the engineering down where Roush Fenway fell behind. I don't think the Toyotas had that much more horsepower than Roush Yates' engines. I think um, Doug Yates is probably the best engine builder in the series, bar none. And I think that, if you go back to the beginning of the season when Tony Stewart announced that Stewart Haas was going to Ford, I think that's one of the reasons they were going to Ford is because Roush Yates engines have the horsepower. They've got the chassis building going on in their own shop now, so they're not really getting the chassis from Hendrick that they used to. I think Stuart Haas, with the way Ford is coming back and they're starting to get everything together, I think Stuart Haas's move to Ford in 2017 is going to turn out to be a pretty good move. Yeah, and I tell you, a lot of people were scratching their head because, like you, like we, like we said earlier, you know, how can you um, leave Hendrick Motorsports? They're the best team in the sport. You know, for a long time they've been the best team in this sport, and it seemed like kind of a head scratcher. But when you see what you saw there on Saturday night, and you're right, Doug Yates has never had a problem building engines. Uh, maybe they've been a step or two behind, you know, a, a few years ago when they went to the FR9. They were a few steps behind where everybody else was, but now they've, you know, built this brand-new engine here in the last five, six years, and they've really built great horsepower. I mean, they've really, really got the horsepower well, and, you know, it's a handling – they're saying Daytona is a handling track, so let's give some credit to those crew chiefs over there uh, at at the Ford camps too. You know, Roush Fenway hasn't been great. We've known that for the last few years. They haven't really been great. So for them to go out there and finish, you know, all three of their cars in the top eight, uh, that's been impressive too. So, you know, a lot of teams are complaining about Daytona being a horsepower uh, handling track now. So it's not just horsepower. So those crew chiefs and even those drivers telling the crew chiefs are relaying that information back, they deserve a lot of credit there over there at Roush Fenway and Team Penske as well. Uh, Ryan Bellini finished 14th. He, had, he was up there most of the day as well. So uh, it was nice to see. Those guys, their Fords are fast this weekend, so if you're a Ford fan, Ford fan uh, it was nice to see that for sure. We give our attaboys every weekend, John, and there was a bunch of them this weekend. It seems like uh, at Daytona and Talladega, you're prone to see these guys run up front. 
Clint Boyer was ninth in his H. Scott Motorsports team. Uh, Michael McDowell finished 10th for Circle Sport for Ryan Family Racing. Cole Wood, his best finish by far of the year for Premium Motorsports. He finished 11th. And then you have David Reagan finishing the 16th spot. Now, Reagan's run, a little disappointing when you look at the 16th because he was up in the top five, top ten all night for most second half of that race. Kind of got caught on the inside lane. Everybody moved up towards the track. I think there was some speedy dry at the end that hurt him, but a very good run for him as well. A lot of these drivers getting their best finishes of the year. Uh, it was nice to see some of these guys who don't normally knock on the door run up front at Daytona. It is, and it's really Daytona and the road courses and Martinsville are sort of the wild cards because those who aren't the haves have an equal shot because it's, I mean, the pack is what drives it. It's where you end up going in the pack because pretty much once the pack starts, everybody's equal. It's just a matter of how well you move around it and how well you get your car to handle. And that's a big difference. And Keselowski said it in his post-race interview is they used to view Daytona and Talladega sort of the same, where Talladega you just mash it down and keep it floored the whole way through. But since the repave and it's been a few years, Daytona is turning into a handling track again like it used to. So they went and put a different package under Keselowski's car this time, which made it different and gave them the win that they've always wanted at Daytona. But I think that's one of the things when you look at the restrictor plate races, you look at the road course races, because restrictor plate races, you're going to have a pileup at some point or another. It's going to take a lot of good cars out there. But those back-of-the-pack cars that end up getting their top 10s, top 15s at Daytona, they're up there most of the day. It's not like they're riding around 34th, 35th. They're in the top 15, top 20. They avoid the big one, and they end up running well at the end. And the fact that they're there gives them a shot to move forward, especially, I mean, if you look at the way the Daytona 500 works, they get a quarter million dollars to start the race. That's a couple races for some of those teams. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, for some reason, I don't know if it's if it's February and everybody's just a little anxious, but it seems like um, February we don't see nearly the upsets that we see here in the July race. And, and there was, you know, like you said, a ton of carnage this weekend. So I don't know if it's the fact that everybody's kind of a little bit uh, gun shy in February. They're a little bit rusty, I should say. Or whatnot, but uh, definitely in this July race, we saw a lot of guys running good. Even Michael Annette, who finished 20th, um, you know, we didn't see him up in the front most most of the day, but he finished 20th. That was his best run of the year. Um, so it was good to see some of those guys who don't uh, read Sorensen as well in 22nd. It was his best run of the year as well, so for Premium Motorsports and a second car for that team. So it was good to see those guys who don't normally have that good of runs run up there and finish high. Um, Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. You want to talk about anything about Daytona? Anything coming up to Kentucky? Anything in between that? We'll cover it here tonight on Talking in Circles. Um, and, and this topic, I think some people might want to chime in on here, John. And this is a topic that uh, it's going to get a lot of people hot. And what's going to? What I'm about to say here. Um, and let's look at the 21st place finisher of this race, and that was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, yeah, Dale Jr. had a little bit of damage at the end of that race. He got caught up in a wreck. Um, that might have impeded his progress a little bit, but there was a lot of cars. Trevor Bain, who finished third, had damage on his car. Ryan Newman had damage on his car. Uh, there was a, the list goes on and on and on. Um, Michael McDowell had some, had some damage. Ryan Bellini had some damage. So as much as you say the damage hurt him, I, I don't know if it did. I think the problem with Dale Earnhardt Jr. this weekend, John, was the fact that they didn't have a good handling race car at all. 
And this was a guy who, coming into Daytona, people were looking at as a favorite to this race. And, yeah, he struggled at Daytona in the 500 and struggled at Talladega where they, he wrecked basically by himself both times. But still, I think everybody thought, well, he's getting a new car. Maybe that the old car, what they were doing was uh, not nearly as good. They put a little bit more downforce in this car because that's what teams are going towards now. And it was a disaster for him. It really was. It was stunning to see because this was a guy who a lot of people thought, okay, Daytona's going to come in here. He's going to run up in the top five all day long because he's Dale Jr. He's good in the plates. He's run really good in the plates in the past. And he wasn't a factor at all. And a very disappointing run for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And now, John, he's put himself in an interesting spot here because if he has a couple of bad races in the final nine before we get to this chase, he could find himself on the outside of this chase looking in. They've been struggling, and he said it. He's tried to pump the team up. He's tried to do all the right things, say the right things. But, I mean, he's been talking pretty verbally lately that they're not where they should be. And if you look at the way the Hendrick performance is as a group, they're not doing anything lights out. Since Johnson won his races early in the year, he's been 10th, 15th place car. Kane struggled all year. The only car in that whole group that's running really well is Chase Elliott. I mean, he's been consistently a top 10 car. Junior has mm-hmm. struggled, and I don't know if he has what it, the thing. The one of the things that's going to help Junior when it comes to the chase. I don't see five more winners coming out the rest of the uh, before the before they finish at Richmond. I think if there is another first time winner out of the group, it could be Chase Elliott. And I think Junior's got a couple tracks where him and Greg Ives have done well at that he's got a shot to win, Michigan, Pocono to be examples. But I think he's close. He's right there enough in points that it's going to take some really bad finishes for him to fall back because McMurray got burnt with the big wreck. Larson got burnt with the big wreck. Allmendinger got burnt a little bit because of the wreck. So, I mean, you're going to see, now that we're back out of the wild card stuff, you're going to see the – good teams running good, and the mid-pack teams running mid-pack. The one that I still think is your sleeper going into this, making it on points, is going to be Ryan Newman because he's just consistent. Yeah, and, and he had a, you know, as that, even though he was caught up in a wreck, he still salvaged a decent day finishing in the 18th spot. I mean, it could have been much worse compared to where everybody else finished. So he salvaged a decent day out of it, Ryan Newman. But Junior's a very interesting topic, and I, I think Hendrick Motorsports itself right now, like you said, is a very interesting topic. You know, David Reagan at BK Racing has led more laps than Casey Kane has this year. Uh, and Casey Kane hasn't led any. So if anybody's led one lap this year, uh, they've led more laps than Casey Kane. That's a little scary when you think about it. Like, man, Casey Kane hasn't led a lap at all this year? Not one. Um, and that's a Hendrick Motorsports car, and, that's, and, and you're right. We haven't seen Hendrick perform nearly as well, but, you know, Junior, these next couple of races are really big for him, I believe. I think, you know, if they get off to uh, 15th place, 20th place runs in these next two races at Kentucky and Sonoma, and at uh, New Hampshire, excuse me, um, it could be a big time, we could be looking at potentially crucial changes there between them and the five. I could see a flop there, so he's a polarizing figure because he's the most popular driver in this garage area, no doubt about it, hands down. And, John, it was just really surprising to me to see a team, a a, a Hendrick Motorsports team, 
Uh, and Baylor and Hart Jr. on a play track, go out there and perform the way they did. It was it was really, if you were part of Junior Nation, I, I, could, I could imagine how hard that must have been to watch. The one thing I'm kind of wondering, and again, going back to the departure of Stuart Haas to Ford next year, I wonder how much Hendrick and Stuart are sharing information still. And I think Chad Knauss is probably one of the smartest crew chiefs in that garage. But I also think Rodney Childress is one of the smartest crew chiefs in that garage. I think Tony Gibson's one of the smartest crew chiefs in that garage. I think uh, Mike Bogoravich is showing that he knows what the heck he's doing. How much of the back and forth between Hendrick and Stuart Haas was Stuart Haas helping Hendrick get up there as well? Because I mean, you question. look since since the partnership, Stuart's won a trophy, Harvick's won a trophy. Johnson won the couple when Stewart was just building the team. But since Stewart won his trophy, Johnson's won one, and that's it. There's been no other championships coming out of Hendrick Motorsports. And since Harvick joined Stewart Haas, the four car has led the points almost all three years. Yeah. Good point, John. And, and it's something that you have to think about. You know, they work together as a team, no doubt about it, because they get the um, the support and a lot of people considered it that were close to the sport considered that basically uh, 800 motorsports cars those four Stuart Haas cars and the 400 cars um, and now they're losing them so you have to wonder and I think you know definitely Chevrolet is starting to sit there and go you know what uh, we're not we're not going to work with Chevrolet with Stuart Haas as much as Stuart Haas saying we're going to kind of keep some stuff we're learning for next year and so yeah absolutely I think it could be a factor but um they need to figure it out because they could be in danger here again. And it's a long shot. I, don't, I think Junior's okay. But if he has a couple of bad races, they could be in real big danger of making having two cars miss the chase. And if you told somebody coming into this season that Hendrick Motorsports were going to have two teams outside the chase looking in, I really don't think anybody would have believed you. Before we wrap up Daytona, John, I just want to get your real quick opinion on it. Uh, what did you think about the racing? Do we need a little bit of a makeover for these for this Daytona package? Um, what do you think about the racing at Daytona? I hate it. Always have. <laughs> I hate pack yeah. racing. I hate restrictor plate racing. It's, to me, it's not racing. One guy makes the slightest bobble, and 22 cars get caught up in it. And it's the other 21 guys who get caught up in it aren't doing anything wrong. It's just the factor of where they are. You took out more than half the field at lap 90. That's not racing. I want to see 40 cars run the best they can, not 40 cars trying to figure out which line or which guy I need to follow and who's going to bump me to get me going forward. You put a monkey in the car, that's what happens. The car is what determines it and how how good you are at making your moves, and hopefully you don't make the wrong one because you can go from 1st to 21st in the span of the front stretch because you picked the wrong line. It isn't racing to me. Racing is how good can you get from one, mile 0 to mile 400 and should be able to do it with you and your car going the best you can with the crew helping you out, not by who pushes you at the end and not by if you block somebody else's lane 
that stop, that basically kills their momentum. Or if you go down and side draft them and kill their momentum, I don't think it's good racing. The casual fan loves the pile up. They're glad that everybody yep. gets out okay, but the pile up takes out half the field. And as it's much a- as I'm happy for the Michael McDowells, the Trevor Baines, the David Reagans for finishing in the top twenty, if you don't take out half the field they're probably going to be back 25th to 30th where they normally are. Number it's seven, not racing eight, eight, nine, to me. Number 7889-8280, if you want to join the conversation, it's an interesting style, John. I think there's a lot of luck. Definitely there is a lot of luck to it. Um, and we've been dealing with plates since 1988, you know, when Bobby Allison went, or 87, when he went into the catch fence. We've been dealing with restrictor plates, and, and there's a lot of people out there who hate restrictor plate racing, I know somebody very close to me actually who wishes he didn't watch restricted plate racing because it was just it's just hard to watch. I've grown up with restricted plate racing, so I never really witnessed uh, super speedway tracks without it. But my question is, and realistically, I think if we took these plates off, these cars would go unbelievable. It would fly through the air, it'd be insane. What other alternative is there? And that's and we're not going to stop running at Daytona and Talladega. Um, you know, that's just not going to happen. Daytona's our biggest race ever. Um, and I think what makes the Daytona 500 so interesting now is the fact that anybody can win that race. Um, it used to be, you know, you had to have the fat, really fast car, and, and if you can last 500 miles, we're in a completely different era now. But it, what makes this race so good now at Daytona 500 is anybody can win it. And uh, if you have a good day, if you draft well and you're smart enough, you can win it. Um, but... I understand the, the aspect of, well, there's a lot of luck. You have to push your way through. You know, you're reliant so much on your teammates and whatnot. Uh, I, I totally get that. But really, this to me is the only alternative. Am I right on that? I believe so. I'd like to see them, just for the heck of it, build a six-cylinder engine. Put a V6 in it. That way you cut down the horsepower naturally. See how it goes. With, I mean, I, it's going to be costly. It's going to be a bunch of extra money that goes into it. But ding, ding, I would ding, like ding. to see them build engines specifically for Daytona and Talladega where they can go as fast as that six-cylinder will take them. You don't have the air getting sucked out to artificially slow the car down. And I think yeah. it would be better racing. I don't think they need to go 200 mile an hour. I hate seeing them in a pack. I mean, one of the things that they talked about with the low downforce package is slowing the cars down. Because if you slow them down, they spread out more and you have real racing. Instead of follow the leader and you can't pass anybody, if you get the low downforce, you end up having to really drive the car. I'd like to see them go back to low downforce at Daytona. Take some of the downforce away from it. Take some of the spoiler off. And if they can, go back to, if they can build a six-cylinder engine and slow the cars down, that'd be great without the restrictor plate being there. Yeah, and, that, and the thing you touched on about the six-cylinder engine here before we wrap it up, can't cost teams a lot of money. I highly, highly doubt that's an option uh, that the teams would in the RTA would agree to, for sure. Um, cup race, the fire wasn't the only race on the schedule at the Coke Zero 400. 
the Subway Firecracker 250 NASCAR Xfinity Series race. We had Eric Amarola won it, and he won it with some controversy. It was his second career win, really his first career win, if you want to look at it, because if you remember, he won a race a bunch of years ago with when he was a development driver at Joe Gibbs Racing, but Denny Hamlin hopped in after he started, so technically he got the win, but he really didn't. Anyway, he won a second career race. Um, it added a controversy, John. It was a last lap wreck on a green-white checkered. David Reagan spun after contact with another car in front of the field, took out a lot of drivers, uh, a normal pack uh, wreck, big one that we, that we call it, uh, a normal wreck we see. And the big controversy came to when uh, NASCAR threw the caution flag. They sort of waited a little while uh, to throw the caution flag. The wreck happened on the backstretch, and the caution wasn't thrown until coming almost off of turn four, uh, completely off of turn four. And it, it bothered a lot of people the way it was called, the way it was thrown. They, it looked like they waited for some reason. And I understand the fact, John, that they want to get these um, races finished, you know, want to run to the line as much as they can. And to me, it's just it's a mishmash right now. And they, they, whenever NASCAR has their hands into it, it just seems like they can never make the right call. And that's the biggest problem. Uh, I think if they threw the caution when the caution f- came out, when the wreck happened, I think everybody would have been okay with it. But they waited, and it just seemed like a really, really silly move by NASCAR. What was your thoughts on that finish there in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race? I think they did wait a little long, and again, they were trying to finish it under green, which is what the fans want. The other part that they did was knowing that it was one of those big one-type pileups, any time else they throw, especially if they think that there's a chance they need to throw, bring the uh, emergency crews out, they throw the caution right away. And they waited until they almost got out of turn four. If they would have thrown the caution when the wreck happened, Justin Allgaier's in the nation or the Xfinity chase. He was ahead of um, Almirola at the time. If that timing line's the one that would have went in, Justin Allgaier's in the chase. It just and and Newman, I mean, that whole thing, Bubba Wallace gets fifteen grand taken away from him for basically saying the clown cars are running the sh- or the Muppets were running the show. And Bubba I mean, Ryan Newman basically said in the driver's meeting, How are you gonna officiate this? Let's hope you do a better job because basically he was telling you you screwed the pooch on Friday night. Let's not screw the pooch with us because somebody could get hurt. And that's the yeah, thing. New- they say safety's number one. And if you got cars just crashing into each other, throw the caution like you would if it happened in front of the flag stand or if it happened in – I mean, you look when they had the 22-car pileup on Saturday night. The minute the first car, the first car hit the second car, caution's out. They were trying to see if they could finish it through, but you've got the backstretch completely blocked off. Are they going to be able to slow down in time, or is the winner going to go through and pile into the back of it because they're too busy pumping their fists to realize there's a wreck on the backstretch? 917-889-8280 to chime in if you want to talk here on Talking in Circles. Yeah, it, it, it's to me, I, I, it's just I don't like the fact that there's controversy at the end of these races because I think it takes away from the winner. I think it takes away from the race. But it's something you have to talk about because it only seems to happen really 
on the play tracks. And there's always controversy when it comes to the Xfinity Series because of the push drafting, uh, which we'll get into a little bit later. But this one was, they definitely waited to throw the caution. I think NASCAR made a big mistake by waiting. I think they knew that. But I think they looked at it and said, we had a big controversy over there at Talladega Super Speedway earlier in the year where fans wanted us to finish under caution or finish the race under green. We weren't able, we didn't do that. We threw it right away. And maybe we should wait a split second. And they did that, but they realized that cars are hitting a wall at 200 miles an hour back there. What if somebody's hurt? So they have that. It was just, it was just a disaster. And that's why I think part of it, I know NASCAR's trying to please the fans with that, but I think part of it is we listen to the fans almost a little bit too much where they're, yeah, the fans are they, they're the ones who pay the ticket and they're the ones that are passionate and, and love racing and they're the ones that are ultimately without them, we wouldn't be racing. But they're also very naive to the fact that driver about driver safety or business decisions and stuff like that. They don't want to hear about that. So NASCAR has to kind of consider it. I think they can listen to it, but they can say, no, that's a little bit ridiculous. And I think they realize they kind of messed that one up there a little bit in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. And I'll tell you what, Bubba Wallace's comments at the end of that race uh, where he said the Muppets were out there officiating, you know, it stemmed from a little bit of an incident he had with Elliott Sadler where Sadler ran out of gas under caution. Uh, Bubba went to slow down a little bit. Um, and when he slowed down, he didn't keep up to minimum speed, so he lost a few spots under the caution flag, which was frustrating, I'm sure, for him. Then he got caught up in the wreck at the end, so I'm sure it was a very frustrating day because he had put himself in position where he could run up to the front until Sadler ran out of gas. So that was a tough spot, but I tell you what, that took some guts, John, to go out there and tweet what he did, leave it up, and it's still out. That took some guts from Bill Wallace. It was kind of uh, a lot of the fans were really into it because it was refreshing to see. I think it was nice to have the honesty there. It's like Stewart saying last week that he was going to buy Zaxby's chicken all week because of John West Townley and what the fine was going to be for fighting because he was excited that somebody showed passion. And Bubba showed the passion for what he thought was going on. And he thought he was being wrong. He thought that NASCAR wasn't officiating the right way. And it's it's a fair thought. I mean, the end of the Xfinity race was a goat rope. They did not throw the flag when they should have. The other thing where NASCAR has sort of painted themselves into their own box is you have a green-white checker, but if they make it through halfway of the first lap, it's over. Instead of race to at least get to the – if they take the white flag, the next flag ends the race. All they have to do is get to the backstretch before they wreck. And it's over. Yeah, that, so they painted themselves in this stupid box. It's like, okay, we're going to do a green-white checker, but only half a lap's what we're worried about. Yeah, and, and that was part of the driver council that came out and came up with that idea before the year. And NASCAR took that into consideration. And again, and, and everybody, you know, I heard a lot of uh, talk on the radio saying, well, the driver's this, the driver's that. You know, the fans just said, we don't, NASCAR doesn't have to listen. They don't have to institute this stuff. They can sit there and say, listen, we'll consider it, Absolutely. And then think about it and say, well, we'll see how it works out and if it doesn't work out. I, I like, personally, I like the fact that we have the, the overtime line because I thought three greenway checkers at the end of races were absolutely absurd. I thought it was way overkill for me. I thought it was gimmicky. I didn't like it at all. Um, so, basically, it's, we haven't seen two attempts at a greenway checker really all year because of that overtime rule. So, I like that 
per se, and I don't have a big problem. I'm, I'm an old school fan, maybe, and I think that's where I differ with a lot of new fans is I don't have a problem with these races ending under caution because, to me, as long as we run back to the to the stripe every time, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Now, that's not what we do now. And I understand there's safety aspect of it, all that, so it's, NASCAR's in a really tough boat there, but I uh, definitely think they, they wait a little too long to throw that caution flag on Friday night in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Another thing that came out of the Xfinity Series race was a test the following uh, on Sunday. Three teams went there, Ryan Blaney's 22-19 of Joe Gibbs Racing with Daniel Suarez and a 33 Richard Childress Racing with Brandon Jones. They went and tested a lower downforce package for the Xfinity Series Racing at Daytona International Speedway. Um, they're gonna, it looks like to me they're going to try and really – they want to break up the tandem draft, John. Um, they want to see what we what we see in Spring Cup, big more pack racing. They want to break up the tandem. NASCAR doesn't really like the tandem. I don't like the tandem racing either. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you think uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series needs to take it that way? I mean, Wayne Alton, the uh, Xfinity Series director, has said it's the hardest thing he's ever had to do in his career, which is police the tandem racing. Uh, personally, I, I I don't like tandem racing, but I don't like what NASCAR has done the last few years where they say, well, you can tandem, but if you do, we'll, we'll penalize you. They should fix the car if they don't want them to tandem, which it looks like they're finally doing here, John. I really hate tandem racing, but I hate pack racing worse. I think if you at least can get two cars together and go fast, do that, instead of having 25 cars in one big pile and someone make the mistake and the whole field's gone. Um, but I applaud them for trying to find a better package because the Xfinity package is not great on the restrictor plates. I don't think it's good racing at all. I think they're still whoever ends up bouncing off each other toward the end, and it's like, what is it? You hit, hit each other three times, and they consider that a push. Or if you're on the bumper for more than five seconds, they consider it a push. So, I mean, yeah, way not, and God bless him for even trying to police that because he could penalize half the field every other lap because the packs are that tight, and you're almost yep. sucked into it because of the way the bumpers and the front ends line up on these cars. If they get to the point where, I mean, I really think they ought to get to the point where they raise the bumper up or whatever and make it to where if you hit them in the rear end, it's going to knock your radiator out. Then we'll yeah. see how they do it. Yeah, and and what used to happen was obviously before we got the paving Daytona Talladega, you could spin, you would really spin out if you hit somebody real hard in the corner. It's getting that way towards Cup. I don't think it's as drastic as it was, but I think it's definitely the right way. Not only not only are they going to do this, it sounds like for the Cup uh, for the restriction plate tracks in the extended series, it sounds like they're going to go to the lower downforce package in all races next year for Xfinity, similar to what Cup has done. And, and I'll tell you, John, what I would like to see them do, if they can make a modification to this, I would like to see them figure out a way to, yeah, we I want lower downforce, but make it not so much, if they're going to make structural changes to the race car, which means they're going to make changes where the cars aren't built the same way, make them a little bit di- more different than what we see in a Sprint Cup Series. So these Sprint Cup Series teams don't come down there and just destroy, because I think that's part of it, too, where... The Sprint Cup cars, drivers know the cars, they know the, the they know the tracks, they know the teams, and they know the cars because the cars are so similar. So if we get these cars where they're not so similar, I think it would be a, a good thing to see. 
but uh, I doubt they do that. But that's something a modification that I, that I doubt they do. But that's something I would like to see in the Xfinity series. Well, that's what they were sort of hoping to do whenever they went to the Camaros, the Mustangs, and Toyota stayed with the Camry because that's the only car they have in that thing. But when they went to the Pony cars in the Xfinity series, they were hoping to make it different enough that where it wasn't another test session for the cup drivers and gave them the track time and everything to make it easier for them. I think they need to, I mean, if anything, there's where you go with your next set of engines. You go six-cylinder, and that's what it used to be back in the day. It used to be an eight for the cup guys, a six for the yep. Xfinity. Push guys. Make that right. a six-cylinder car there. Then you don't have the horsepower. You don't have the same feel, the same anything. See, what? there's your experimental series. Experiment with the Xfinity series because you want to try to make it different from the Cup series. You want to try to make it worthwhile. Let's experiment there. Make it the six-cylinder so then you have the cars, you have the engines built, and then the Cup guys can get the six-cylinder engines and put it in the Cup cars for the restrictor plate tracks. I've saved millions of dollars right there. <laughs> I wouldn't be totally against that. I mean, especially in the Xfinity series, and I know it's going to take a, you know, and that's the thing we have to keep in mind here. Yeah, the majority of these teams, that at least the competitive teams in the Xfinity series, are big-time major conglomerate Sprint Cup Series teams. But there's also those select few JD Motorsports, Jeremy Clements' team we see a lot. Ryan Steig, who finished third, a great run at Daytona. Let's give him a shout-out quick. He finished third. That was an awesome run to see. Jeff Green, who hadn't had a top ten finish in the Xfinity Series in a decade, finished seventh for Rick Ware. That was great to see as well. Um, but those guys, even Rick Ware racing, those smaller teams, they would have to put that budget in where they have to – all their engines would be junk. So, uh, it, I don't know. I just it, – it's a double-edged sword really hard. And I don't want to – I think when they went to this new style of body race car for the Cup, for the Xfinity Series – it took out a lot of the older teams that we saw there. You know, for example, a guy named Wayne Day used to have a team. And I know you could say, well, he wasn't very competitive, but he was there every week. Uh, mm-hmm. K Automotive was a team that was there every single week, and they said it makes more sense to go to the Spring Cup Series than it does Xfinity because the Cup Series pays more, and we're building new cars anyway. Um, so that that's an, an example of if we maybe change the engines, we'll see those teams get swallowed up again by the bigger teams. So that's something – to keep in mind if we do make a drastic change to the V6. It would be nice to see from a competition standpoint, but I don't want to see those Xfinity Series-only teams to get so hampered that uh, they lose all their costs there as well. Something else, John, that was interesting this week, and we talked a little bit about it on our last show about the Drivers' Council, but something interesting came out of there this weekend as well. Um, Drivers' Council had a big meeting with NASCAR this week, and a little bit of, of bits of information came out about what they were discussing. NBC Sports had something the other day about Denny Hamlin, and that NASCAR asked drivers what could make the Sprint Unlimited and the All-Star Race more prestigious. And I thought Denny Hamlin's comments were very, very interesting. He said, and I quote, trying to make it as prestigious as it used to be, uh, it has expanded over the last few years, especially the limited and even our all-star event. It's over half the field. That's not really prestigious. We'd like to get some of that back. If you tighten up how you get in, maybe these guys will keep in the back of their mind when they're going for a pole 
and they will go for it. You can tighten it up by making it a certain way to get in. The fan vote and all that is cool, but it's also gimmicky and get gets a lot of people in versus making it a true race winner race for winners or poll winners. End quote. I'll tell you what, Sean. Um, I'm not on board with everything drivers say. I don't want to uh, act like I'm a, I'm a big fan of the driver's counts because I understand that driver drivers having too much power isn't a good thing, but those comments from Denny Hamlin is something I've been preaching for years. I mean, 25 cars in the, in the Sprint Unlimited, 22 in the All-Star Race, doesn't make it prestigious. It makes it like another event. I thought those comments were right on the money from Denny Hamlin. Uh, what were your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Do you think that would help the uh, All-Star or Sprint Unlimited at all? That's something both of us have talked about. Uh, we joked pretty loudly at the All-Star race of who got in, why there's three cars coming in from the Unlimited, um, and the two fan votes. So you wound up getting five cars that wouldn't have qualified to begin with. I'm 100% for it. If you remember the first Bush Clash way back in 79, what was there, 11 cars in the field? Right, and it was a 20-lap and race. It was a 20-lap race. And, yeah, they're expanding it to make TV money worthwhile and all that stuff. But I think the TV folks would still rather see 15 cars who have a legit shot at it than keep putting more and more in. And it makes it more prestigious. I mean, the one thing I hate, I mean, we got Major League Baseball All-Star game coming up next week. I hate the fact that they have to put one player from every team on there because there are some players that are going to make the All-Star team that just suck. But because they're (laughs) the best player on a sucky team, you're going to make it. And there are some really deserving people who are having phenomenal years who are going to be sitting back with three days off. I hated the fact with the Unlimited where they put all the chase drivers from the year before. And at one point, you remember the one year, they put five from every manufacturer in. And if you were a a previous champion, and if you were a previous Daytona 500 winner, and if you have been to Daytona twice in the past six years, (laughs) and if you could spell Daytona, congratulations, you're in the preseason Unlimited. Oh, Heck, you and I could have fielded right a car and got in with those requirements. You're right. And I love Robbie Gordon. Robbie Gordon's a great driver. Um, and I thought what he did with his own team there was fantastic. But he was even in that race. And Robbie, uh, because he was a Dodge or something, he was one of the few Dodges in there. And that, to me, you know, I think there was 29, 28 cars in that race. It was craziness. So, and I think NASCAR had, had gotten that thing. But it's interesting because I saw Hamlin's comments about well, maybe if these drivers know that there's a pole and they can get into a Sprint Unlimited, they go for it a little bit more. I wouldn't think that that was a, a uh, thing drivers think about when they're going for the pole, but if Denny Hamlin puts it out there, a guy who's got a lot more experience in race cars than I do, a guy who's got a lot more wins than both of us will ever have, uh, run a lot more races than both of us ever will, if he says that, then maybe these drivers do do that. Maybe they sit there and go, you know what, I want to be in that extra race, get the extra attack time that they told get my suspicious extra exposure, Etc. 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 It's not a bad thing to be in that race, but you know, I was talking to to somebody who you know very well off air this weekend, and he says to me, "Not only do you look at it and say, well, I only need to get a pole to get in that race, but why do I even need to win that race? Because 
it used to be, you know, when you won the Sprint Unlimited or Bud Shootout, you would be in it for the next 10 years. Well, if I'm in it for the next 10 years, what to do? I'm probably going to be in it anyway because they're going to put me in if I'm with a big team because they always do. So it's just, it, I totally agree with this. I think it's, it's a, it would be a phenomenal move. To me, you don't need 20, 22 cars to make a good race. If you got 15, 16 cars in that race or even 12 in that race where they sit there and go, you know what, it's 12, good. Let's, let's see what these guys can do. Let's see what these drivers can do to go out there and do it. I think it would be fun to watch and make it more prestigious, absolutely. Um, I think it would be great to see. It really do. For the all-star race, one of the things that they need to do is bring up the purse. A million dollars to win isn't anything anymore in this sport. And the amount of money NASCAR is making off TV on that race, they can afford more than a million bucks. A million bucks to win isn't really worth the time of day, except to get a sponsor on TV. I mean, make it five million to win. Make it make it equivalent almost to the Daytona 500 for how much you win. Money talks. Mm-hmm. Give them. Oh yeah. Make them make it worth their while. I mean, and, what is it? A half million bucks to win the Sprint Unlimited? That's what it yeah, costs. Not that's even about almost 000. what you get to start the Daytona 500. You yep. get like 350 to start the Daytona 500. Now, you start mm-hmm. 40th and finish 40th. Guess what? You're getting almost what you got to win the Unlimited without piling up a car and possibly another one in practice. So right, and the Sprint Unlimited. It's definitely a race that I think, John, even more than the All-Star race, needs to pick up its purse a little bit. And I think if you uh, limit the field, you can keep the purse at where it is and spread it more, uh, get, spread the wealth a little bit, where, you know, hey, we don't have 22 cars in this race this year. We'll have 15, but those are seven extra cars you're not paying. And that set, that pot from those seven extra cars will go to the 15 that are in it, and it'll make it a better race. I think it would be great. And you don't have to raise the purse, and you can make it a, bit, a little bit more prestige. But I agree with you about the All-Star Race, too, where, and that's the problem where they're going to run into is what's this new sponsor, whatever it's going to be, and we'll touch on the news that came out this weekend about the title sponsorship um, a little bit later on in the show. But what are they going to want to do? Are they going to want to put out $2 million? And I always point to this, and I, again, I know it's a completely different era and we'll never get to the equivalent of this. But when Daryl Waltrip won two hundred grand in 1985 to win that All-Star Race, that was almost equivalent to his full-year sponsorship with Budweiser that year, and it was pretty darn close at least, and mm-hmm. now it's not even close, so it really meant something to win that much money back then. R.J. Reynolds put a lot, of, a lot of money, but the fact that R.J. Reynolds paid virtually the same amount of money in 2003 for the All-Star race that Sprint paid in 2016, and we're 13 years down the road for the All-Star race, I think it's... Uh, something that said definitely that at least they need to double that race, double the income to that race. We'll see if the sponsor wants to do that, the new sponsor that comes in, but uh, I totally agree with you on that wholeheartedly, John. You want to see somebody go after it in the all-star race? The only person who gets paid is a winner. Yeah, well, that would be interesting. I'm not sure you can do that, but because you're going to tear up race cars, and I think people would rather not enter the race than do that. But if you want to, I'd be okay with saying, listen, everybody else gets $40,000 or gets $50,000, $60,000, and the winner gets the rest uh, of a of a $5 million purse, I would be okay with that. I really would. As long as, you know, it doesn't pay to finish second. It pays the same to finish second or, or teeth. 
I would be okay with that. And the winner gets the most. I think that would be great to see. I, I think that's something that can definitely, where we have staggered purses in the other races, um, and, and that one would just be basically the winner gets the majority. That would be great to see. I think it would be something interesting for sure. Uh, but <clears> 9780. Oh, go ahead, John. Whenever you're looking at that, the funny part is I think one of the races that I think everybody had to be a part of wanted to win more than anything, and they didn't get a dime for it, was Tony Stewart's Prelude to the Dream. You saw Clint Boyer testing late model dirt cars. You saw Harvick learning how to run a a dirt late model just so they could win the trophy at Eldora. Nobody got any money for it. All the money went to whatever charity Stewart gave it to that year. One year it was to Victory Junction Gang. One year it was to a group of military hospitals. But they worked their you-know-what off so they could win that race. I almost want to see something like that where you go, say, to Iowa, let's everybody, or the other one I'd love to see with the all-star race is bring what you build. Whatever you feel like building, the only thing that's in the rule book is the safety. You can put whatever engine in it you want. You can put as much gas tubing as you want. Run it as illegal as fireball, I mean, as uh, Smokey Eunuch always did. What you bring, you can run, like they did with the um, T-Rex car that Ray Evernham did. Yeah, yeah. It was in the ultimate gray area of the rules, and they wrote the rule book again on Sunday after Gordon blew everybody out of the water on Saturday. Let them experiment with that race. I mean, make it something special. I mean, it's either got to be a huge purse for the winner and everybody else be the same, like you said, or make it completely out of the box, because what's there now isn't really worth watching. You can tell by the crowds. It used to be you couldn't get into the all-star race, but you could get a yeah. uh, Coke 600 ticket. Now you could walk up and be 15 rows up on the start-finish line and see everything perfectly because those seats aren't sold. 917-889-8280 here. we got about 10 minutes left in the show. If you want to join in, call that number at 917-889-8280. And a funny point to that, John, before we wrap up that little segment, now, I remember hearing a story about 1992 with a great, a great finish in that race where Davey, and, Davey Allison and Kyle Petty wrecked. And they were, Davey hit the outside wall and was uh, in a helicopter while his car was pushed to victory lane. But Richard Petty said, I remember at the end of that race, there were people who were sitting in the stands and they didn't leave. They just sat there because they wanted to see more. I mean, mm-hmm. that's crazy to think about when you think about how lackluster the All-Star I thought this year's format, everybody killed Kozlowski for it. I don't think it was that bad. I think there were some uh, things that NASCAR kind of overlooked that they need to fix up a little bit as we move forward to that race. But I didn't think the format was that bad. Um, I kind of liked it, actually. But, you know, it's just amazing to see that that 92 was that deal where you sat there and these guys didn't want to leave. These fans didn't want to leave, and now we kind of, like you said, have a big problem with um, selling those seats. It just shows you the, the difference between the All-Star race in 92 and the All-Star race in 2016. Um, one thing that came out this weekend about the potential replacement for Sprint and the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series was, and we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to dive into it a little bit here on the latter part of the show, about the potential of two sponsorships. 
for example, uh, Don- it wasn't Sorry, Stephen Phelps, who uh, is a marketing guy at NASCAR, has not ruled that out that we could see a dual sponsorship role. And one company that Lee Spencer brought up on SiriusXM Radio this weekend was Kroger. Now, Kroger's a supermarket chain, and they have a lot of entities where they could be basically teamed up. You know, we see with the Menards team where you'll see Menards be uh, teamed up with Peak, teamed up with Quaker State, teamed up with Energizer Battery, whatever's on the front hood of that race car. Um, and that's something that this spot we could potentially see in NASCAR. Um, what are your thoughts on that, John Harlow? Uh, before I give my opinion, what do you think about the dual, a potential dual sponsorship in the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series for next season? I think Kroger as a sponsor would be interesting, but I also see a big headache because you've got Brian Scott, whose family owns Albertsons. You've got A.J. Allmendinger, who has Kingsford, who brings Kroger to the table and brings Ralph Supermarkets out west or the food lines down south or stopping shops up here in the northeast. I think that would be interesting, but I think it caused problems for other people. They'd almost have to do the old grandfather in like they did whenever Sprint came, I mean, when Nextel first came because of AT&T and Singular. Uh, the, I think two sponsors, yeah, it'd be all right, whatever they want to do. I don't get too caught up in it because, I mean, heck, you look in the past 10 years, we've gone from the Bush Series to the Nationwide Series to the Xfinity Series, and nobody really has lost their minds over it. And we've gone from Winston Cup to Sprint or to Nextel Cup to Sprint Cup, and nobody's really gone crazy over it. I mean, if NASCAR goes without a sponsor, it's not like they're going to be broke. Between the money ISC makes, the money NASCAR makes, they're not getting broke. NASCAR gets about <laughs> 50% of that billion-dollar TV deal. So they're, oh, yeah. they're kind of doing fine. And they keep cutting back well, on the officials and all the other stuff. So, And they get, a reven- they get a percentage of the revenue off of every T-shirt because it says official NASCAR on it. So guess what? Absolutely. Then you've got the official everything of NASCAR, where I still mm-hmm. think NASCAR is taking sponsorship dollars away that could go to the teams that could fulfill the sport. I mean... Yeah. Whoever the sponsor totally. is, fine, dandy, whatever it is. I mean, you look, the world of outlaws went two years without a sponsor because the sponsor that they had left, they wanted to find the right one. The world of outlaws survived mm-hmm. without a title sponsor. Now they got Craftsman Trucks as the sponsorship of the world of outlaws series. Right. I mean, it just, it doesn't matter. One way or the other, they're still going to race whether they have a title yeah. sponsor or not. I mean, NASCAR was there before Winston came. They can be there after if they run the thing right because they're making money hand over fist. Well, here's my problem with dual sponsorship. And you touched on it a little bit with the Kroger deal where you sat there and you said, and you're absolutely correct, well, you got Albertsons. They're going to have to be grandfathered in. And my question with, with Kroger is where does their competition stop? Does Dollar General, if they wanted to get back in, no. Walmart, if they wanted to get back in, no, whatever. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is what sponsor do they team up with? You know, let's say it's Kroger, it's the Kroger Cup Series presented by Coca-Cola. Well, then Coca-Cola is going to want exclusivity. Hey, you know, Kroger's got exclusivity where they kick 
they kicked, uh, you know, Food City's grandfather in, sure, but no other grocery markets get it. We, don't want, we want to be the only soft drink. We'll give Dr. Pepper two or three years to get out, and we'll give Pepsi two or three years to get completely out, and sorry, you guys are done. You'll have to find your sponsorships elsewhere. It's just another avenue if you do two dual sponsorships and have the exclusivity rights that we've seen with Sprint the last couple of years, that makes me concerned. If they don't have this little flaw, I call it a flaw, this little detail in the dual sponsorship, I don't care about it. But if that dual sponsorship says, you know what, two sponsors have exclusive rights where they can only be, it can only be them, those sponsors, that have a big problem with it because you're taking money away from the owners. And it's hard enough to find sponsorship in the Sprint Cup Series nowadays, let alone telling them you can't take from this avenue or that avenue. So that's something to keep an eye on here. As we move forward, if they do two sponsorships, that those that's two potential avenues they could be taking money away from for the Sprint Cup Series teams. And I hope if they move forward, they don't do that with the dual sponsorships because it would ru- it would not ruin the sport. I, I'm overstating by saying ruin the sport, but it would be make it a lot harder for those team owners, and I would hate to see that. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. You want to join the conversation? What's uh, your your point there on the, on the Sprint Cup Series there, John? One of the things I'd like to see NASCAR do is find a way to make it cheaper for the owners. Oh, yeah. Look at the Verizon IndyCar Series. For the full season, it probably costs between 8 and $10 million. And those things are a little more technologically driven than the NASCAR race car is. Six to eight million bucks. For a full season, ten year, ten million a year. If you're probably Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi, but you can survive on six to eight million a year. These guys are getting thirty, forty million dollars a year to run these cars. Junior sponsorship is all. I mean, back when the guard, because it was public and voted by the Congress to approve it, junior sponsorship right. with the guard and Pepsi and Amp Energy was thirty-five million dollars a year. That's not. That's crazy. Yeah, and but the thing with the IndyCar is, and that's something that we have to keep in mind, they don't run nearly the amount of races we see in the Sprint Cup Series. I think they run almost close to half, and that's 22. another aspect where they – yeah, and that, that's pretty close to half, I mean, give or yep. take a few races. But still, I mean, they have a lot less races. That, to, and I know they go out to different countries that's different than the Sprint Cup Series, but still, uh, it, it's a lot less weekends where they have to run – and uh, it's a lot less. And I know Robin Miller was one guy who didn't like that they ended it in September uh, and started it in May last year. But it was a way to keep the uh, where you don't have to pay your employees past a certain amount a week too, and it helped keep the costs down as well. So that's something to keep in mind with the IndyCar as well. We don't run nearly as many races, but you know we're not going to get off 36 races in Cup. That's the number. That's what we built our our, our uh, chase around. So that's not going to happen at all. Um, so. It's unfortunate that we can't cut races and help save these teams a little bit of money because I think we do have too many races in the Cup Series, maybe one or two weeks, too many, but then it's never, never going to happen. We're just never going to see it because these, these tracks will never let it happen. Um, hey, before we get to the end, I want to say uh, get well soon to Matt Tift, who's coming back yes. from his brain surgery, and John West Townley is going to be replaced by Parker Klingeman in the truck race this year because John West Townley suffered a concussion in that wreck, so... That's something we always got to watch for, and want to see yep. both of them get better and see John West start wrecking some more people soon. 
And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring this up and I almost forgot. David Smith, former RCR employee, um, he passed away and had a long, hard fault battle with cancer. So there's a GoFundMe on Facebook if you can find it and donate a little bit of money to that team, to that, to that family. It would be great to do. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. John Harley did a great job, as always, as a co-host. We'll be back here next week on Talking in Circles, talking about Kentucky. Good night, everybody. <laughs>